This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than, a podcast discussing unsolved mysteries, weird occurrences, misunderstood phenomena, and creepy happenings. As always, the Stranger Than podcast logo art is brought to you by Cthulhu Art. The link is in the show notes. Today we will be talking about the Chicago Tylenol murders of 1982. Not to get it confused with other Tylenol murders in other years. In other Chicago's. <laughs> Probably, it's definitely one of the top ten major unsolved crimes in america yeah and it's i mean it's right up there with like well i guess technically like kennedy's assassination has been solved but there's plenty of people who think that it was not solved quite correctly right right and yeah also this is one of them where it's some weird shit it is some weird shit and it's just it was such a huge thing and terrifying like, yeah absolutely terrifying to have lived during it and been old enough to understand what was going on right like i lived through it actually because i happened to live in evanston illinois which is a suburb outside of chicago in 1982 i was two not to you know reveal my age or anything but well you just did i totally did anyways 25. That's right. Exactly. Anyways, I asked my parents about it, and they 100% remember this going on, and just how it was crazy as fuck, and I'm like, did we have Tylenol in the house? And my dad was all like, yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was expired. We threw it out, but it was expired. <laughs> I'm like, that does not surprise me one little bit that my parents had expired Tylenol. Yeah, it was like 10 years old, uh -huh. like past the expiration date. No, that doesn't have shit in my it. My parents are like the worst with like prescription and over-the-counter hoarding. I mean, they kind of hoard in general, that kind of stuff, but then they will literally keep it for like decades. I have found so many prescriptions and so Packed many over-the-counter bottles of pills and remedies that it's like, oh, expired in, I mean, now now I'm finding stuff that's like, oh, it expired in like 2007, like 10, 11 years ago. But <laughs> I mean, I'm sure at some point we had stuff that went way back even further. So yeah, not shocking at all that the Tylenol my parents had was not fresh bought off the shelf, but probably like 10 years old already when that happened. But they threw it out anyways. Well, they should have thrown it out, you know few years before that right <laughs> yeah i'm sure it was at the point it needed to be thrown out but nevertheless it was it was pretty crazy times especially since you just didn't know and you're just getting your information off you have to like tune into the news and like yeah. special channels you're getting the information off the newspaper and i think that's kind of one of the crazy things was how they when this all kind of they started connecting the dots and how they had to go about notifying the general public it couldn't about just this. be done it was just like right. bam, oh it's, it's just like there. let's just post it on social media and 
put it on the news, post it on social media. It's a social media post that's going to get all the fucking attention and go basically around the world in minutes. If it takes that long. Right. But back then, it was different. And, you know, I've got some more details to tell later about the notification procedures used. But let's just start it off with day one, 6.30 a.m., and 12-year-old Mary Kellerman wakes up feeling sick and stays home from school, and her parents give her a Tylenol. And this was Wednesday, September 29th, 1982. Yeah, I probably should have started off with the date, but... That's okay. There you go. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking in my head, it says, like, day one, 6.30 a.m. By 9.56 a.m., Mary Kellerman is pronounced dead at Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Yes. Adam Janice was feeling a bit shitty, so he took the day off from the post office. He picked his kids up from preschool, and they went home for lunch. After lunch, Adam took a couple extra-strength Tylenol, which, if I had a couple kids that young, I would probably need as well. And, and went if to you're go feeling la- sick, too. Right? He took a couple of Tylenol and went to go lay down. A moment later, he staggers back into the ki- kitchen and collapses. He's taken to Northwest Community Hospital's Intensive Care Unit in Arlington Heights, Illinois, but they couldn't save him, and by 3.15 p.m., he's pronounced dead. Yes. Lots of his family's there. Yes, and he also purchased the Tylenol at the the local Jewel store. Which is like a grocery store. After he picked his kids up from preschool. Like, he basically just goes and picks up the bottle of pills that is going to kill him. Gets goes home, feeds him lunch, takes said pills. Tylenol pills, yep. yes, and fucking dies. So yeah, his his wife, Teresa, his siblings, parents, parents, they all go back to his house. Because they don't know, the doctors tell him they don't know why he's dead yet. Right, and they're, you know, he just died and they gotta confer and it seems like, you know, there's the kids probably and his wife, so let's just go back to their home, probably because that's the most comforting place and they're just, they're just talking about stuff and his brother Stanley had suffered suffered from chronic back pain I guess and yeah. asked you know can I get some Tylenol so his wife is named Teresa as well except hers is with Teresa with an H yes, and the other Teresa one is just with, Teresa, yes. Teresa with a T T E and T H yes. Teresa's so she gets him the Tylenol mm-hmm. and she takes a couple of herself and within minutes like he, he goes drops, down and, and then, then she drops yep and uh, the first responders show up and they got four working on each one. And everything that happens to Stanley, just a few seconds later, happens to Teresa. Now, we also have a woman named Mary Lynn Reiner. A week earlier, she had just had a kid. She wasn't feeling well. It's about 3.45 p.m., so she takes some Tylenol. A couple of minutes later, she collapses. An ambulance picks her up and takes her to Central DuPage Hospital in Winfield, Illinois. She's pronounced dead at 9.30 a.m. the next morning, Thursday. Uh, she had a bottle of regular strength Tylenol, but when they inspected the bottle, they found six extra strength Tylenol in the bottle. They believed the two she had taken were also extra strength. And it was also believed that she actually got this bottle at the hospital. And even in the 80s, hospitals had their pharmacies under lock and key. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't a lot under lock and key in the 80s. Except, you know, I don't know how much... I can attribute to that because that isn't really widely published that she got her Tylenol from the hospital. That is all coming from her daughter who is basically on the conspiracy 
Right. Yeah, they believe campaign with Johnson and Johnson. They believe that that was where she got it. Yeah, you look at the information and it's very easy to see all the facts about where other people got theirs like oh yeah it was purchased at the jewel store there was two people that purchased it at a jewel store they got them on like camera and stuff well no not oh not all of them but this some is of 1982 them though no but a lot of them they have... they showed like they showed a couple of them walking in and buying the stuff right i mean a lot of them they had on, they had on camera actually right but they, i mean it's mostly like just coming and going they don't have cameras like they have cameras today no but they still have a lot of cctv especially in chicago i mean chicago in the 80s you had the Chicago Ripper crew running around there. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't the best of places. Yeah, but I mean, it's just nothing like what they got today. Oh, no. Well, I'm saying. Uh, I mean, you're, you're it's, right there, it's grainy. It's black and white. There's hardly anything. And it's not, it's only probably at like the entrance and exits. Not so, down the aisles. So in the they of the would, store and I, stuff. I think they, there's probably other backup, certainly, as to where they went to purchase, like receipts that they had. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think they're. They just know because it's like, oh, yeah, let's check all the local stores and look at the video footage. And, oh, yeah, I can totally recognize that guy. Anyways, though, yeah, it was, it's very traceable where everyone else got yes, but hers their is... bottles. But hers, it just doesn't really make mention of it publicly when you're just kind of going on and looking through the news articles. And, um, yeah, you just don't see anything about the hospital. It's not until you start looking at the stuff about the conspiracy end of it is when that thing about the hospital comes up. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Right. And what I was just going to mention about hospitals and clinics is that I have worked at clinics in the past and over-the-counter stuff is not monitored very much, like, at all. Oh, I'm sure. Especially something like Tylenol where yeah. they just open their mouth and you throw some at their mouth and whatever sticks there over is the, counter drugs, the right like, amount to take basically are just bought in bulk and they are under lock and key in the med room but they're not locked they're just locked in a room not like even narcotics and stuff which is like locked in a room and then locked within another right. thing but they are the still locked room. in a room they are still locked in a room but it's just i would have a hard time knowing that it actually came from the hospital there's no real way to like tracing the lot numbers it's usually not dispensed in bottles it's usually like just given out um i don't know i just i would just have a hard time being able to actually prove that she did in fact get it from the hospital and that may be yeah so around 6:30 p.m. at an illinois bell store which is a phone store i think that's all i can think well they used to have the bell phone like Mobile it wasn't a cell phone, that's for goddamn no, sure. No, it was not. But it was in Lombard, Illinois. Mary McFarland has a headache. She works for this store. Mm-hmm. She goes into the back room and she takes some Tylenol and within minutes, collapses. She's taken to Good Samaritan Hospital in Downer Grove, Illinois, and is pronounced dead at 3.15 a.m. Thursday, September 30th. Her father was friends with John Milner, commander of the detectives at Elmhurst Police Department, who believed that she had ingested some kind of poison. Right. And this is, I think, the first person, really, that says something about poison. But they don't know. Possibly poison, but the first girl, the paramedics log the Tylenol bottle. They do log, yeah, they do do grab the Tylenol bottle. Which is how later they kind of make the connection. Okay, so right as Mary McFarlane is basically dropping dead... 
they're starting to put the pieces together just initially of what is going on because it is at this point that Dr. Kim is notified that Adam Janice's brother Stanley and his wife Teresa are both on their way back to the hospital. And he was the guy that dealt with the brother. Yeah, he had pronounced Adam Janice dead, and so he gets notified that the brother and sister-in-law are on their way back to the hospital, supposedly in cardiac arrest, having CPR performed on him, and that's Strikes him as very odd, obviously. Three people in the same family? Yes. Yeah, pretty fucking weird. And the firemen, you said, you know, there's four on four working on them at the scene before they get transported to the hospital. So Charles Kramer is the lieutenant with the Arlington Heights Fire Department. And obviously he also noted three col- three people collapsed at the same address since they no were fool. the first responders. So he is the one who notifies a public health nurse named Helen Jensen. Okay. And basically tells her, you know, we've had three people collapse at the same address today, and we needed to notify somebody in public health. And so she rushes her ass to the hospital to meet up with him, right? Right. And that's where they meet with Inspector... Uh, Pichos? That's how I want to say the name. Yeah. Inspector Pichos. So he arrives at the hospital, and he's asking around what's going on, and no one really knows what's happening. So he decides he needs to go to the scene. Right. Let's go to where they collapsed. And that's, that's probably going to give us the most clues. So he grabs some cops, grabs Nurse Jensen, and they go to the Janice house. They walk into the house, and nothing is weird, really. Nothing sticks out. There's not, like, a giant jar with a skull and crossbones on it. Yeah, no toxic chemicals in a big pool on the floor. Right. Apparently there was like a metalworking thing in their basement or something, and there was nothing out of the ordinary down there besides the metalworking place, which is a little bit I mean, when you're looking for something fishy, I always want to say look for products that have the brand name Acme. Exactly. Yes, (laughs) definitely. No Acme products in the whole house. Nurse Jensen does notice this bottle. Right, and six tablets missing. So she's. Which would account for, oh, two people. I mean, three, three people, people taking yeah. two tablets. And so she's piece. thinking, this is the hmm. shit. This is the smoking fucking gun. So they left the house, and she took the bottle with them. Now, while all of this is occurring, we've got Paula Prince. Paula Prince, who was. Flight attendant. A flight attendant. With yeah, United for, Airlines. Mm-hmm. She is 35 years old, and she touches down at Chicago's O'Hare Airport around 9.30 p.m. and buys some Tylenol at the local Walgreens and heads home. She and her sister had some dinner plans, which she missed. Didn't answer her phone. Right, because she is actually the last person found. She's probably going to be dead very soon after she purchases the Tylenol and goes home, but it's like... A day or two before. Yeah, they don't find her until Friday. Mm -hmm. So her family was pretty concerned, and so they called the Chicago police to go check on her. All of this stuff is happening in the Chicago area. And it's crazy. It's just, like, all happening, like, at once. Like, quicker than they can make the connections. Yeah, they don't... Yeah, there's... Because... They're making phone calls from landlines, and it's, it's crazy. And I wonder how much longer would it have taken... If it hadn't been for that one family. No shit. 
because yeah. everyone else, it was a single person taking that. And I think about even in my own family, like we have like the big bottle of Excedrin that everyone takes from, but we don't all go for it three of us at the same time within like a couple of hours. Yeah, no shit. That rarely happens. That it you would know it of. would take me dying and then like maybe like days or weeks before like one of them might randomly take poison too and like be like, oh hey, this is what's going on. I get I mean I guess they could figure out cyanide poisoning rather quickly because well, I mean this is all going on in one fucking day. So they haven't even hours. had, yeah, they haven't First even had any in... time to do any kind of toxicology or autopsies or anything. It's just happening one after another. But it is the fact that these three happened is what really got it to be detected rather early for the standards of the day as far as communication and all that kind of stuff goes. And speaking of the standards for the day, I mean... These pill bottles were a joke. They, oh, my God. They had child proof. They did have child proof. Right. That was invented in 1967. Probably after a bunch of fucking kids died. I wonder how many kids had to die before they fucking started child proofing shit. A lot up until 1967. <laughs> but that was, it was just child proof. Right. There was no plastic surrounding. There was no of uh, the saran the, material. No and the shrink foil wrap. That covers the top. The foil that, that covers you, the top. You know, it's hard as fuck to peel off, and you're just like, God damn it! What you got it. was you got a piece of cotton in the top, in like the neck of that bottle, mm -hmm. and you could at the store open it, pop out the cotton, take a couple, or put a couple in, put a cotton ball back in, close it, set it down, and no one would fucking know. Mm-hmm. There's still ones that you can buy like that. I mean, vitamins are like that, but they're not as... E it's not capsules. No, yeah, they're solid. So. Mm -hmm. so you can't really fuck them up too much with cyanide like you could with these motherfuckers. You still can put all sorts of shit in capsules, but capsules definitely need to be in a tamper-proof bottle for just that exact reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But definitely. prior to this, yeah, no, you could just uh, open up the thing and... Put the stuff in the capsules and then place it That's right it. back, which is the non-conspiracy theory, basically. Is, is that a... Is that some yeah. person purchased these, took them home, messed with them, and then put them back on the store shelves? An unknown person. An unknown person. Well, back at the hospital, Jensen is claiming this whole clusterfuck is from Nurse Jensen is from the Tylenol. And people are not really taking her seriously. Except I think they are, because it moves pretty quickly. I mean, Inspector, he... he it doesn't, he I guess at gets, first. He gets the other bottle from Elk Village. I think Nurse Jensen is kind of kind him. of one of those, like, oh, well, I knew all along, and no one was listening to me, you know? Oh, maybe, yeah. I don't know. That's possible. Because the doctor says, yeah, she said something about Tylenol, but I was trying to still figure out like, what was happening to these people as far as like their bodies dying not necessarily what was the source of it but yeah because well, he, the two of the i mean the the brother and the sister-in-law are still alive and on life support they still haven't at even at this point not for much longer yet. the brother well, I think dies the brother at dies yeah so the brother dies kind of right when they're at the house but searching this, the house the, the sister-in-law she survives until friday I believe. right friday at i think one fifteen or so something like that but she does survive sometime longer. early Friday afternoon. Yeah. 
But I don't know. I think Nurse Jensen, I, I believe that she's the one who noticed it and probably came to the conclusion first, but because nurses are, are pretty smart, but this whole no one believed me for forever is like not so much because things did move pretty quickly. Like she's she was on her A game and called it, but I, I feel like they pretty quickly figured out about the Tylenol bottle with the twelve year olds. Right, because Pichos has them bring it from Yeah, he has it bring uh, it from, from the El Grove has, Village PD. Yeah. They bring it to the hospital and then he is on the phone, I guess, with the medical examiner. Medi- him, Deputy Medical Examiner Donahue. Ooh, okay. Deputy yeah. Medical Examiner Donahue <laughs> is on the phone with him and tells him to smell them. And he poured, he couldn't really smell anything just opening it, but he poured the capsules out and smelled almonds. Almonds. Which, which is crazy. Cyanide. Because not everyone can smell that. I guess, yeah, only like 50% of the population yeah. can and he, smell that. And he also noticed the control number, MC2880, on both of those uh, right. bottles. You know what else is weird? So cyanide is, is in almonds, but okay. you can get cyanide from other sources other than almonds. It's not, like, made out of almonds, but... They don't just grind up almonds, like a shitload of almonds. You can, and bitter almonds are ones that... Well, I don't think they grow in North America because almonds are like seeds, actually. They're not a nut. They're a seed. And they are actually contain high levels of cyanide, like all almonds do. And you have to treat them with heat to make them edible for human consumption. Oh, really? Yeah. That's why they're always roasted. Yeah. And so bitter almonds are sold in other countries. It's actually illegal to sell them in the U.S. because some of them, if they haven't been treated... Will fucking kill you. Yeah, you can eat, eat like three or four, and you will fucking die of cyanide poisoning, like for real. It's one of the more deadlier foods that humans consume is almonds. Crazy. Yeah, but you can still find cyanide in other things, though. So it's not entirely like made out of almonds, but it smells like almonds. So is it that cyanide smells like almonds, or do almonds smell like cyanide? I don't know. That's a very good question, mm-hmm. Joanna. Kind of a mind fuck. I would say that cyanide smells like almonds because everyone can smell almonds, but only half of us can smell cyanide. Hmm. And cyanide poisoning is a nasty motherfucker, too. Oh, yeah. it's uh... It makes it so your red blood cells stop carrying oxygen. Mm-hmm. So you're breathing, your lungs are working, you're taking in oxygen, but you're... You're suffocating, suffocating and dying. You're asphyxiating. Yeah. Brain damage and heart attack quickly occurs it's not yeah that's why it's, it's not good a very effective way of killing people it's a preferred poison they you i think they use in gas chambers like cyanide gas pellets it's fucking mm-hmm it's some serious shit it is but yeah it does the job pretty quickly it's not like arsenic which is like a really kind of slow painful agonizing death it just drops you. You're dead. Sci- yeah, exactly. Because the second you're not getting oxygen to your brain, it doesn't take. You pass long. out. You go into cardiac arrest. It does not take very long no, at all. A couple to minutes, die. I think. Couple minutes, not being able to breathe. Your heart stops beating. Your brain fucking dies. End of story. Now they've got the cyanide, or they, well, what they believe is cyanide. They haven't yeah, tested it yet. Yeah, dude smells almonds. Uh, and... They believe i mean the the victims are showing signs of cyanide poisoning they still need to test and make sure that's the case 
Now, this hospital didn't have the facilities to test for it, so they actually had to send off the blood to a lab mm-hmm. to figure out what the what the deal it's was. It's like, I don't know how to test for this shit. What the fuck? And ra- around 1 a.m. Thursday, Dr. Kim gets the results, and they confirm that they died of cyanide between 100 to 1,000 times the lethal dose. So... That could have killed a shitload of people right? if it was broken up more so. Around 10 a.m. the next day, Thursday, September 30th, Johnson & Johnson shows up at the medical examiner's offices. Johnson & Johnson being the parent company of, I think it's McNeil. McNeil Corporation? Yeah, that actually manufactures Tylenol. Mm -hmm. And they're basically just telling them, this is what's going on, and we're going to have to alert the public. Like, yeah. hey, we found fucking a bunch of cyanide in two different bottles of your shit, so like, do obviously... you have to? And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, do you have a better idea? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no. no. You gotta tell them. Like, I guess we should inform the general public. So they call a press conference, and they tell the public that cyanide had been found in Tylenol. And they probably shouldn't take Tylenol for a little while. They start getting Tylenol off the shelves in Chicago. Right. And pretty quickly, Johnson & Johnson does issue a recall of that lot number. It was just so, a lot number at first. Right. It's just local at first. But they're probably starting to piece together a couple of the other deaths that have occurred. Yes, from the other... The other hot. Well, now that it's been the press conference has happened, you've got all these people calling the medical examiner's office, saying they took some Tylenol mm-hmm. and asking what they should do. They're like, "You're making. You made the phone call. You're fine." Right. And then, because at the time, the other hospitals are also now aware. Right. And they're like, "Oh, fucking cyanide poisoning." Mm-hmm. Because at the time of the press conference, right when it comes out. It was still just the four that they knew about. Yes, and so then that's when that's uh, when the prob- they make the connection with the other two, Reiner and McFarland. Reiner and McFarland, because it isn't the until the next day that uh, the body of Paula Prince is discovered, and that's kind of really when shit goes down. So they find Paula Prince on Friday around five p.m. And by 8 o'clock, the mayor is meeting up with all the, you know, Board of Health. The Attorney General. Yeah. Chief of Police. uh, FBI. Fire Department. uh, Who knows? Maybe Homeland Security. I don't think they had Homeland Security I was just about to say, did they even fucking have Homeland Security? Probably not. But just probably, like, just about every federal agency... Damn and near. local, you know, heads of police force, you can imagine. Because, I mean, there's different counties. I mean, this was mostly Cook County, Chicago. But, I mean, it was several. It's a big place. And lots of different departments and all that kind of stuff. But it's just kind of like the head of everybody. Head of like local, state, federal. Everybody. <laughs> everyone. Everybody was there. Everybody is there. And they have to come up with a plan of action as to what are they going to do to notify people. Like, seven people are dead, and who knows how many more could happen. So, and again, this is not Facebook time, so... 1982, so what did they do? <laughs> what do you do? You go in the streets with a loudspeaker. And you print some flyers. And print some flyers. several languages. And that, when I was reading about that, that language thing, that it was like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. 
I feel like if I was mayor, I'd probably, like, totally overlook that because I'd be, like, a horrible mayor. Well, you'd have AIDS and shit that would probably be like, oh, be like, Joanna, you Mayor need to, Joanna. You know, <laughs> we might want to print this out in other languages. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm such a fucking asshole. <laughs> Except it was Sorry 1982, so you could probably have just said something racist and everyone would have laughed and it would have been fine. <laughs> right. God. Oh, so anyways, yeah, putting out flyers, going in loudspeakers, you know, throw out your Tylenol, don't freaking take it or anything, you're gonna like die and stuff, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. With all this coverage, eventually everyone starts, you know, they start getting it off all the shelves in the Chicago area, people are turning it all in, and that is when... They find the room. So there was five bottles of Tylenol in question. Four confirmed bottles. I mean, five. I'm saying five because five of, from the victims. Yes. Well, one of the victims is the one where they supposedly got at the hospital, and I'm not sure if that was actually like a bottle uh, per se. It's that we. There's no direct proof of that. Right. So no bottle with like the, the same lot number and everything yeah. like that. But the other bottles are found as well as two that are turned in and then they find one still on the shelf for sale at one of the same at a jewel i think yeah yeah. a jewel store and it just hadn't been purchased yet by the time they got to it and each bottle they found had between two and 13 poisoned pills in it oh did you find that i tried i kept looking to find out because i was like how many per bottle did they have two to 13 two to 13 i mean obviously with like the janice family it was Several because yes. they had six and I don't know if all of them had, but at least at least three because if you took two a piece, at least one would have had to have had been poisoned. Yes, only one. You you, you wouldn't did, you wouldn't have two. only needed one to you one know since it like even one in like a thousand times the strength needed to fucking kill you dead, but but at least three. On October fourth, the Chicago City Council they passed an ordinance that required tamper-resistant packaging for all drugs sold in stores. So right off the bat, they did that. City council's on it. Good old city council. <laughs> and then on... On the 5th uh, is when Johnson yeah. & Johnson actually recalls all Tylenol products in the entire nation. 31 million bottles worth around $100 million. Which is a quarter billion dollars today. Jesus Christ, I was wondering. Like, I, I was... Pretty sure you'd probably converted that into like today money. Yes, yes. So part of my charm. So what was that? A quarter billion? Right around a quarter billion. I believe it was just under a quarter billion. Which would be what, like seven hundred fifty million? Two hundred and forty million. Two hundred fifty million. Right around. Oh, I'm thinking three quarters. Not three quarters. Just one billion, quarter. One quarter billion. A shitload of cash. Two hundred fifty million. That doesn't seem as much inflated as other things that I feel like I've seen. Well, this was because it was 82 and not 72. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm thinking like D.B. Cooper on that. Yeah. But you're right, that was 70s. Damn near everyone is involved in this investigation. You've got the DuPage and Cook County Police Departments, Chicago Police, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney. Tons of people are calling and saying they had done it, which is weird. Oh my god, again, yeah, again with the false confessors. Like, I don't get that. People that are just like, oh yeah, I'm going to falsely confess to this 
fucking horrible crime. It's ridiculous. I don't, yeah, there's obviously. I just don't get that. I just don't get that because why would you do that and then not only falsely confess, like I get people confessing under like coercion and oh, yeah. stuff like yeah. that torture and what have right you. definitely but just people calling up and claiming that they did it it's like do you really want cops to like show up at your house and arrest you and put you in jail for like life maybe they do like that then they'll know someone and cares. you really want people to be arrested and have people think that you fucking did that like what the fuck is the matter with you or you don't want them to catch the actual person who actually did it so you confess to doing it yourself to throw stupid. them off or something? Who knows? But in addition to all these people calling saying they'd done it, they also had over a thousand leads that they were following up on with tons of people. The hotlines were ringing day and night. Additionally, they had, you know, in addition to the whack jobs calling and saying they'd done it, people are trying to give them information and what have you. And then probably just a bunch of stupid shit coming in. Oh, most likely. Like, I think I, I saw, like, a bottle of Tylenol, like, like at some person's house. Like, should I be worried? I saw a guy, he was dressed like a stock boy, and he was putting Tylenol on the shelf in the store when I was there just before all this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hey, like, what do you think about that? <laughs> now, this was the biggest story on the planet. I mean, it was an international story. Everyone, not everyone, because international was a much bigger place in the 80s but still it was reported all over so first up on the interviews of possible suspects were people who had been fired by johnson and johnson obviously they couldn't really find any that fit the bill there was one guy that had the access and could have done it but they said he didn't seem to be the type hmm. i don't know and they i don't you couldn't know, find his I'm name either so convinced that that should be a reason to like not look at somebody as a suspect. It's like I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, maybe maybe in 1982 times, that was still kind of like, oh well, he just doesn't seem like the type. I mean, how many people got away with shit back in the day because people are just like, oh, but he seemed like such a nice guy. What do you think, boss? Do you think he did it? Mm-hmm. Nah, he's a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. I think he just wanted an excuse there to use your 30s gangster voice. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you just would assume so much. And I think these days we're a little bit more conditioned to, like, not just always assume that. Just because Everything's just... on the up and up. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, well, he might seem nice. Like, people still get away with it. But he probably has more than they dead should, children but... in his closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we're a little bit more alert and suspicious these days. I where... should fucking hope so. Just because somebody is, like, kind of clean cut, it's like, okay, this does not mean he is not a fucking closet freak. And who wants to poison and kill a bunch of people. You may want to be more careful of those that are clean cut. Well, and also, you know, you don't. Back in those days, you didn't leave an electronic footprint all around. Oh, no. Like, you yeah. can look at this nice, clean-cut person, but you can probably find a way to be like, look at the fucking Pornhub shit he accesses. What the fuck? Like, that is, like, he looks at the most depraved ones that they have. Obviously, this guy is a freak. We need to look into this a little bit further. Didn't have that his, in the 80s. I mean... They didn't have that in the 80s. Yeah, they didn't have that. You had to actually find his fucked up porn collection right. in his house, like You're in Donnie Darko. You're not just, Darko. like, leaving, like, a digital and online footprint everywhere right. that you fucking go. Use a VPN, folks. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, October 6th, Johnson & Johnson receives a letter. This letter is demanding that they pay $1 million to stop the poisonings. The letter is eventually traced. It's not hard to trace it to James Lewis, who is living in New York City. They focus on him for weeks. They eventually get him in December. Many people believed he'd done it. Right. 
the on the extortion letter, it included a bank account for the money to be deposited into. But it was like totally some other guy's. It was a closed bank account of his ex-wife's former boss. And he, he thought that like somehow he had like screwed his wife out of like, was it like $511? It was something like that. Something like fucking stupid. And so he was saying that he wrote the letter because he wanted the cops to look at that bank account and find proof of this guy having <sighs> swindled his wife or scammed his wife. It's just... And it's like, that is the most stupidest thing I ever heard in my fucking life. Like, either you are truly a stupid person or you truly make up stupid excuses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. What are the other? They didn't have enough evidence to convict him of actually doing the poisonings. Well, yeah, because Though, I don't think he was even in the area. No, the he was in New York. Yeah. Though in court documents released in 2009, they do show that the investigators believe he did it. They did manage to put him away for 20 years for extortion. He served 13 of it mm -hmm. and was released on parole in 1995. It was he, one of those serious things with extortion. Yes. Because they couldn't get him on something else that they thought maybe he had done. Like getting Al Capone on tax evasion. Exactly. And so he denies having anything to do with the poisonings. Getting OJ on that, on that you know armed robbery charge which is exactly. still heavy but it's like oh usually you don't get like 60 fucking years for it you know no, like, no. yeah but yeah so he he he's denies having anything to do with the poisons mm -hmm. and he has a website oh yeah i forgot the website cyberlewis.com oh check it out it, it's it's did you check it out i did check it out it's an older a website it's got it's interesting you should check it out I encourage everyone to check it out. Give us that website name one more time then if you really want. Our... CyberLewis.com. CyberLewis.com. C-Y-B-E-R-L-E-W-I-S.com. Give the guy some traffic. What do you think about him? Do you like him as the guy? No. I don't either. I just, you know, I don't know the guy and I admit to like obviously we don't have access to a lot of like the case evidence which i would fucking love to get my hands on some of that but yeah they reopened the case so it's i want to see no not available with freedom of information act right which i feel like even under the freedom of information act there would probably be a lot of evidence that you wouldn't be able to get used to well the or freedom of information act you wouldn't be able to get access to i mean that mostly pertains to like court records uh, is and a, evidence when it's been placed into court it's not well it's a way like that ongoing police investigation stuff exactly and that's why they put it back on because it's a way that you anyone can gain access to government documents mm -hmm. all one needs to do is file for the document you want and eventually you'll get either the document or correspondence saying you don't get this document, some sort of an email or a letter, probably a letter. Right. Um, you know, because David Polites from... ran into brick walls with that all the time yes. when he's trying to figure out shit with the missing people in and the it, national parks. It can take from days to months to get. Uh, there are some exemptions of information you can obtain, which are anything that is classified to protect national security, any internal personnel rules or regulations of a specific agency. So you can't ask the, what the CIA's insurance policy is or whatever anything prohibited from disclosure by federal law trade secrets or commercial or financial information that is privileged privileged interagency communications under 25 years old so that would be the like uh documents inside fbi and ncia well 
probably mainly FBI that would talk about uh, the case, like case documents, case files and stuff. Right. Um, anything that may violate another person's privacy if disclosed. Okay, great. Speaking of violating, can we, can you just stop fucking me with like legal code here? <laughs> I think we get the picture. <laughs> Okay, and other stuff. Uh, and the, other stuff. All the right. weirdest thing that I thought, because there's a few other things, but the weirdest thing was you're not allowed to ask. They, they will not give you geological information on wells. Oh. So that's weird. I would think that that would be important for the public to know. I would like to know where wells are because I don't want to fall down one. Well, they will not tell you. And I do not want my children to fall down one. Well, that's too bad. The government's not going to tell you about wells. Well, I just... I don't know. I don't know if it's actual built wells or it's a, wells is a geological, like a, a just a, a, a natural well, sort mm-hmm. of a spring sort of situation. I don't know. But they're just like no. But they won't tell you. They're like you can fuck they're off with all that well talk. Total fucking dicks <laughs> about wells. All right, yes. that's that's weird. There was another suspect, uh, Roger Arnold. Apparently, got drunk at a bar or something and started. I don't know quite what he was saying about the murders, but he was saying enough like weird shit about it that somebody at the bar reported him to the police and was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, this guy's the talking some owner, crazy talk. The bar owner. Yeah, right? supposedly the bar Marty owner. Marty Sinclair. And so they investigate this Roger Arnold guy, and apparently it's the stress of being investigated is really bad on him on poor roger there and he gets so fucking nuts over it that he actually kills this guy that he thinks is the bar owner a guy named uh john uh stanisha stanisha my handwriting's fucking terrible on my handwritten notes so he actually mistakes him for this marty sinclair person who he believed and probably did a tell on him to the police and he so he shoots him and he ends up having to serve 15 years for second degree murder he was sentenced to 30 right and then he served like half but this guy he did work for jewel he was a dock worker so he was okay and then i figured there had to be something else i mean because you have all the people that are calling up fake confessing to it and they don't get scrutinized as much so there had to be something with that guy that made him he worked at the Jewel grocery store. Stand that was out. the one that had the two that's two separate locations sold the tainted Tylenol. Mm-hmm. He also had worked with the father-in-law of Mary Reiner. Oh, weird. Now, the okay. police did raid his house. They find unregistered handguns, ammo, two one-way tickets to Thailand, random chemicals, and the anarchist cookbook. Now, he was cleared, but all of this combined is what wigged him out and gave him the nervous breakdown right that then resulted Although in the I murder on june it 18. doesn't i don't think he was that far off from having something like that happen anyways no because, no no like, i don't think so either <laughs> clearly clearly this guy had some issues so yes he did i wonder what the trip to thailand was for like ugh. two one-way tickets to thailand two one and it's like who was gonna go to thailand with him i don't know some person that's like buried under his fucking house, probably. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. It's hard to say. They, I, they didn't search under the house. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, crawl spaces are popular places to hide people in fucking Chicago. 
John Wayne Gacy lived in the Chicago area, you know, and oh. I think around this time is when maybe he had been caught or was about to be caught for, you know, raping, like murdering dozens of young boys and stuffing them under his crawl space. Yeah, this is probably kind of around John Wayne Gacy time. Yeah, this isn't a great time. I think time it started for... in the 70s, but it was still maybe going on in the early 80s. This is not a great time for Chicago area. No, maybe that's why my parents decided to move. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> when I was like four. Because, yeah, I was born um, I was born in, in Cook County, and we lived in Evanston. But I honestly only remember like the house that we lived in and just faint little spotty right. You're memories pretty young. from yeah i moved to washington when i was four so that's pretty fucking young but yeah not good not good times out there not at all <laughs> and it doesn't get much easier for the authorities either because they just don't have any leads besides this lewis character right and so their task force is reduced from 115 to 40 and it's just those 40 people that pretty much stick around to the end of the of the investigation. But that didn't last long because they didn't have any evidence and they didn't have any leads besides the one that would eventually right. and lead to just an extortion case. I don't know how many people they have on it now because it's still not solved. And they reopened in 2009, like yeah. you said, so that, you know, people can't really look at all the, the shit. There's the idea of the cover up. Um also, the Ted Kaczynski angle is interesting, and it's interesting because now I don't, I don't think old crazy Ted, the Unabomber, fucking did the Tylenol murders. Oh no, it's not. There not are at all his few deal. Weird coincidences. So I just don't think, like you know, okay, I'm gonna blow, I'm gonna bomb and blow people up, and but you're, I'm gonna start off with poisoning people. Well, he always, it's a little he usually hit. Not just random public. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the one bomb of his that was on the airplane that didn't go off. But aside from that, he pretty much was hitting colleges and uh, he targeted specific groups of people and agencies. Yeah, but it wasn't it, it wasn't just poisoning the general public, right? And that's what this was. And the thing though that is, I think makes a couple of red flags stand up is that the first four Unabomber attacks though were in Chicago. Yeah, well his parents lived there, right? Yes, his parents had a home in Lombard, Illinois. And isn't that like one of those places where Yeah. Yeah, Lombard, Illinois. And not only that, but you know how he had his cabin out in Montana. Yes. So get this, like, two months prior to when this happened, there is a guy who takes a couple of Tylenol. He's a janitor. His name is J. Allen Mitchell. He's 19 years old, July 26, 1982. And he dies of acute cyanide poisoning shortly after taking the Tylenol, although they didn't make that connection at the time. Probably not for a long time. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they would have done an autopsy, him being 19 and all. Oh, yeah. But even after, even once they knew it was cyanide, they still didn't relate it to the Tylenol. It wasn't until this happened and somehow, you know, I don't know if there was some somebody in that office, in the Sheridan office, contacted the Chicago Police Department when two months later, like, seven people 
are when fucking poisoned and die. fucking news, yeah. Yeah. So they get contacted and they investigate it. The dosage was like the same. And one of the investigators talked to the mother of the victim. She was telling them what had happened that day as far as like the sequence of events leading up to his death. And she mentioned that he had a headache or didn't feel well. And so he took a couple, she's like, I think to kind of quote was like, you know, tablets like Tylenol. He took two Tylenol, something like that. And unfortunately, she had thrown it out after he died. So there wasn't a way to test it. But the toxicology was say it was around a thousand times the lethal. A crazy amount. Yeah, it was a crazy amount of cyanide found in his body. And according to his mother, he had taken two Tylenol tablets shortly before he died. And the thing that's interesting is that if you're going back and forth between Lombard and the place in Montana that Kaczynski lived, Sheridan, Wyoming is like right on the path of there. I'm not sure how much he was going back and forth. He occasionally would go back and forth there. I did I did find that information out, but it said he would occasionally stay there. It's just kind of a weird thing. Well, that's why they got his DNA. Yes. But they also got the DNA of goddamn near everyone who had anything to do with this. And still nothing has come up where they're like, oh, yep, the DNA has given us a, a name. Nothing. Yeah, they even got James Lewis and his wife. They got DNA samples from them. Right. They had a hat that belonged to Roger Arnold, so they got DNA out of that. And Kaczynski's, none of his DNA matched anything on the bottles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the people they were trying to rule out, okay, this is this person, this is this person, this is this person. You know, probably Nurse Jensen and, you know, Dr. Kim and all the other different people who had actually handled it. Trying to see if they could figure out who's, what, what DNA is left over. Right. And just nothing so far. The thing that is interesting, I think, about the Sheridan, Wyoming case is that it happened first. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to mean it was Ted Kaczynski traveling to Chicago to go freaking poison a bunch of people and just decided, like, oh, hey, I'll just stop in Sheridan first and do something then. But it could have been something similar, like a similar scenario, except just somebody completely fucking different. That was like, you know, let's test it out a little bit. Because could have been, yeah. the place the Tylenol was purchased... And even though they didn't have a bottle, I don't know. Maybe I mean, Sheridan, Wyoming, I guess, I'm guessing, is not like a huge place. Probably they could figure out where he got the Tylenol from. I'm and trying to think about a big the store city in Wyoming. Is called, <laughs> the store is called uh, Buttery Osco, but it, its parent company is Jewel. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that that is weird. And then the same thing. It wasn't like a little bit of cyanide. It was a whole lot of cyanide. It was a whole lot of cyanide. So I think that's kind of... Con- I would say in my mind it's connected to the Chicago murders. It could I be. I feel it like maybe be. somebody put one out. It was like a test. Test, test run, yeah. See, how, see how it works run. out for him. And then you, you do it instead of, instead of just one thing in Sheridan, Wyoming. You do it in like five fucking stores in chicago in chicago right. in well, the chicago area many people believe the bottles were tampered tampered with in the stores that's what the working theory was right is that somebody can't like it was like somebody came somebody bought it tampered it with wouldn't it, be hard put it back on the shelf it wouldn't be hard in those days like like we already said about the packaging being super shitty mm-hmm. just pop it open open up the tablets because they're just like the little tic-tac style tablets so you could easily open up a little gelatin tablet and put in your ridiculous amount of cyanide close it on up put the cotton back in close it go back to a store set it on the shelf 
Right. There you go. No problem. You can still do it up to a point even after that because that's what the the Excedrin murders that happened. That happened four years later here in Washington in Auburn. Yeah. Susan Snow drops dead after taking two Excedrin. Her daughter discovers her body. Her daughter was like in the shower or something. And then her mom drops dead. And then it's discovered when they're doing her autopsy, they smell the cyanide. And so they trace it back to this Excedrin bottle that they have. And that's when a woman calls the police department once they find out it's a tampered bottle of Excedrin. And this is just four years later after the Tylenol murders, which were huge. Right. So obviously this makes news like real quick that a woman took Excedrin tablets and died of cyanide poisoning. On June 11th. Yes. Now, police get a call from this woman, Stella Nichol saying that her husband had recently died following taking some Excedrin, and maybe the two were connected. And turns out to be true. No shit. It's almost like she had some kind of inside information. Almost. And that would be because she is the one who poisoned him. Well, she'd been trying for a while. Yes, and and her husband's name was Steve, Steve Nickel, and she had insurance policy on him that would pay out extra if he died accidentally and so she accidentally killed him right (laughs) right or she tried to make it look like an accident right like so he had died it but they just thought he died of cardiac arrest and they didn't do a whole lot of further investigating and so she's gonna get a payout but then she it's not the one that she was hoping for Quickly, Susan Snow dies, and then once that happens, then she's like, well, hey, remember me? My husband also took Excedrin. Maybe you need to look into this. Well, by looking into it, they actually discovered it was actually her that did it because she had an aquarium, and she would purchase these anti-algae tablets and grind them up with a mortar and pestle, and she didn't wash the bowl out afterwards, and so she used the same mortar and pestle to grind up the cyanide to put in the Excedrin oh, bottles. Oh, God. And that's how they traced it, because they traced the sale of the stuff to her, because it was pretty specific. It's like an odd thing to find. And then the police noticed that she had an aquarium. They're like, hey, wait a yeah, second. Yeah, like, let's connect the ducks. It was a very forensic case. I actually first saw about it on Forensic Files. And she used, uh, she also poisoned some Anison 3, right? I don't know. But yeah, she also poisoned Anison 3. They found Three stores with her shitty resealed fucking packages in them. Mm-hmm. Three different stores. Three different found stores. All, Interesting. Found See, them on I the only shelves. knew I only knew about the bottle that she tampered with that she gave to her husband, and then the bottle that Susan Snow ended up getting. Well, she was trying to cover it up. Well, yeah, so she was doing got, it to offset. So if you throw a bunch of other ones out there and then the other people go take them and suddenly it's like a Chicago incident again, then it totally takes a spotlight off of her. Right, right. And she gets um, her big insurance payout is yeah. how she's working this all out. But I wonder, I wonder, wonder if it wasn't something similar there. I mean, with the with the Tylenol thing. They, they, they did believe that was the case or that's... There was a possibility. Even with Susan Snow, they were totally look, looking at her husband at the time because he oh, yeah. was like a cheating douchebag dickhead. Right. And, you know, not guilty of murder, guilty of being a fucking douchebag, but not guilty that of murder. That against the law. Exactly. 
he had had an affair. He was weirdly inappropriate after she died, like cracking jokes and people were over mourning and just, you know, just a fucking dick. But again, he wasn't the one who ended up being the murderer. It was the spouse of the other victim who was the one who did it. That was one of the reasons they sort of pointed towards Roger Arnold was because he had worked with Mary Reiner's father-in-law. Right. So there was a connection somebody specific. And then you just put all the other bottles out there to cover your tracks and offset it. But they, you know, he didn't, he didn't do it. He killed someone else with a gun. Right. But he didn't poison anybody. Did you know that the, uh, the Lewis guy was acquitted of murder? No. Yeah. He had some client, some person who worked for him or that he worked for, and they found his bones in the dude's attic in a bag. Damn. But he was acquitted because the search was ruled as an illegal search by the police. So he got off on a technicality, basically, for fucking murder. Hey, check cyberlewis.com, kids. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, there's just some shady as fuck things Well, back to the Chicago one. I mean, I don't know how the lot numbers work. I don't know if it is that a lot is made in the distribution center and then that lot is is sent to the area or if it's sent to each specific store. No, that's why they Or if it goes to like the head of the store. It had to have been in the distribution end of it because lot numbers are all made together but then they're sent off, they're dispersed in different areas. But not uh, a, on a on a single bottle basis. So it is plausible that one store Right. I mean, they get that stuff by the caseload. Right. So one store could have 10 bottles. So it's perfectly feasible for someone to go in and buy eight bottles of Tylenol and they all have the same lot number. Yes, although lots so it, usually aren't made in tens when you're talking about mass right. Production. But still, they they it's still feasible that maybe they just took ten out of the mm-hmm. box that they got out of the hundreds of boxes they got or whatever the fuck. Also, just as feasible that you got it from ten different stores in the area and they all have the same lot number too because they make lots in huge batches and they go to multiple. Right. Locations. So it so it's 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 like each lot goes to the area and then the area breaks down those lots to the each each of the different store warehouses and then those store warehouses are mm-hmm. what give them to stores. Right. So it's the big problem is that the lot number really doesn't matter so much because it could have happened locally or it could have happened in the distribution center. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that all the murders were local, I mean, it, it almost just makes it like that much harder yeah, yeah, because they didn't find any outside of the area. Except for the one in Sheridan. Except for the one in Sheridan. Or Which, maybe they did, because we'll get into it here. So the theory that the pills were tampered with at some point during the repackaging and supply chain was not one that authorities or even journalists really looked into. Mm-hmm. It's been said that the reason for this is because they were protecting Johnson & Johnson. They got strong ties with the FDA and lots of media outlets. Uh, this is a well, theory. they're rich as fuck, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that. There's always, yeah, You just don't that. fuck with rich people the way that you do people that aren't rich. Regular people, yeah. Yeah, regular people, the fucking peasants. So this is a theory that was put forth in a book called Tylenol Mafia by Scott Bartz. I didn't read the book, but I did watch no, I, an interview I... with Mr. Bartz. Uh, now, he was a former pharmaceutical industry insider as well as a whistleblower. Did a shitload of research, interviewed FBI, Chicago area police, family of the victims, and 
read the 8,000 documents that he could get his hands on related to the case. That must have been some tedious ass shit. And in a nutshell, he comes up with it with somebody at the distribution center. Yeah, he doesn't think and that the crazy people up. going along and poisoning people at the retail locations was anything. And this is the guy that talks about how Mrs. Reiner got it, her pills from the hospital. Supposedly. Supposedly. I would be interested to read the book just because it, it seems I looked on Amazon. It got pretty good reviews, so. He speaks well. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to, to hear about it, but just as someone who has worked in the medical industry, I can tell you that there is very little way to actually prove that those Tylenol came from... Any place, unfortunately. From since... any place since it's 1982, but especially like a hospital, it's it's different than going to the hospital pharmacy and having them give you like an actual prescription medication because that is probably going to have a label and all that kind of stuff on saying mm -hmm. where it came from but when they're giving you they're just dispensing over-the-counter meds it's like they're just busting off like like basically almost like pulling it off out of a machine or a feeder or something like, like oh, one of those m&m machines where you exactly, put a quarter in and spin exactly it just like, like and it dispenses tylenol your comes out you know here you go tylenol and you maybe you put in one of those little plastic cups oh and you yeah hand it to them. Well, those shot glasses when the bar mm -hmm. expects people are really busy right yeah so it's it's odd to me that they're so adamant i, I would like to see the evidence i would like to see the yeah. proof that yeah. actually shows me that her tylenol came from the hospital because that's basically the whole thing that allegedly breaks that Thing wide open yeah because it's the hospital would. angle if because if they got if she did get that bottle from the hospital then there's no way it was a random person right it had to have been somebody within there what are they saying exactly that was somebody in the distribution center in the district or, the, or because that lot or something. went to the hospital as well as to the stores exactly but somebody can't just walk into a hospital and take tylenol out of their locked rooms exactly. tamper with it and put it back in not easily no, not easily. It would I mean, have to possible, probably be but... a hospital employee. Yes, that would be that would be the one. It would either have to be somebody on the Tylenol end of the distribution. Or someone in the hospital. Or someone in the hospital. So now the reason that they think the whole thing is a cover-up was because of Johnson & Johnson's liability. Now they are liable for all of their things up until it gets delivered to the end to the customer. Not to you and I who bought it from the store, but to the store. So if they prove that it's done after it was delivered, then they're not liable for it. Now, they're touted for doing a great job uh, during this whole thing, how they recalled it all. And the next year, they're making record profits again. Right. They, it was just a bump in the road to them. Now, all the tainted capsules that the police received, as well as the ones recalled, were shipped back to Johnson & Johnson for testing. I heard they only tested like 1%. They only tested less than 1%. The rest were shipped to the Pennsylvania manufacturing plant destroyed. Mm. And so it's been reported that the head of McNeil at the time, McNeil, of course, being the one that manufactures Tylenol, they're the subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, was talking daily to the head of the FBI and FDA during this whole thing. The whole testing, destroying process, uh, recalling? Pretty much, just, yeah. yeah okay. Once they found out about all like the the poisonings, they were buddy-buddy with the FBI, FDA, talking like, to them all the time. I mean, they get like 31 million bottles. That's a lot of bottles. This is even test. before the recall, though. 
Right. Yeah. I'm just but saying, that is like, a shitload. That is a shitload, but I feel like if You'd I was maybe, FBI, I'd be like, yeah, you need to test it all. A lot more, at a least. A lot more, at least. Yeah, because what if you find some somewhere else, you know, yeah, you pull them from the shelf, it's not going to kill anybody, but it could be a way of tracking the killer. Exactly. Because one of the things that was also said was that the cyanide would have eaten away at the gel capsuling. Well, we'll we'll get to that part because that's a, that's another thing. Why can't we get to it right now? Because you have to like look on your tablet to find your notes. Is that what's going on? February eighth, nineteen eighty six, Diane Ellsroth takes two extra strength Tylenols and then collapses. She purchased it from an A and P store in Bronxville, New York. I don't know what the fuck an A and P store. Probably another grocery store. Right. It's that's probably, my guess. It's an A and P. Yeah. It's it's the fucking A and P. There you go. They, this store, the AMP stores, share the same distribution center as Chicago, Illinois, and she had taken cyanide pills. Are they under the umbrella company of Jewel? I did not look much into AMP store. Okay. That would be weird, though. If it, it would was. be weird. I mean, they share a distribution center. They do share a distribution center. Because, um, yeah, it was, that was one of the ways that they discovered the shiz and sheridan it's like oh because it had a completely different name but it's like oh wait we're owned it's owned by the jewel so i mean jewel umbrella two days later ceo of johnson and johnson james burke friends with motherfucking president reagan his friend from uh, college his old roommate and like his son or something own a newspaper and media company just kind of a big deal totally a big deal he sends some people up to Yonkers, New York, to begin working with the FDA and the FBI. Yonkers. That is just such a weird name for I like know. a place. I know. On February 11th, FDA spokesman William Grigg said that the FDA had inspected the manufacturing factory and concluded there was no indication that the tampering happened at that level. It was said by the Westchester County Chief Medical Examiner, Dr. Millard Highland, that cyanide would eat through gelatin capsules in 8 to 10 days, so it had likely been added after the Tylenol left the plant. Again, they're not liable once it gets delivered. So this was parroted by Johnson & Johnson. Uh, it was the McNeil president, the FDA spokesman, William Grigg. Not everyone really bought this, though. So the Westchester County DA, Carl Vergari, talks to the federal authorities and he finds out from the fbi from fbi science guys that that's not the case at all cyanide does not eat through a gelatin capsule and in fact cyanide laced tylenol has an indefinite shelf life interesting so the capsules could have been poisoned at any point so he makes this information public on february 18th at a press conference hmm i think though that Probably it was in the case of the Chicago things, it was put on the shelf rather quickly. I don't think it was sitting there very long just because of, I mean, it's a fucked up time span. It is. That it happens, that it happens so quickly. All at once, like seven fucking people in one guy. I mean, everybody took it that day or evening. Not everyone died that same day right some some of them hung in there for a couple of days following but but they all took the pills but i mean i I wonder how many didn't get tested that were found that or people just threw away and just put in the garbage just i'm gonna throw my tylenol away Mm -hmm. how many of those were poisoned and how many people 
were just fucking lucky and missed that two to thirteen. Right. So it's really, it's we don't have enough Most information people... about how much was actually poisoned to know really whether it was something that one person could even do by mm-hmm. themselves. It's just it's very odd because. I guess maybe this part isn't so odd, actually, that the people who bought it and took it immediately, there was a lot of people that did that. I mean, three of the seven victims is all from that same family. Again, that's why it was discovered so quickly. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of dumb luck, maybe. Yeah. Or it's just the ones on top. Right, right. But just the point being that he had just bought that bottle that day. Yeah. And yeah. he takes it and two other people take out that brand new bottle. Same with the flight attendant. She bought it on her way back to her apartment. But at 6.30 a.m., Mary Kellerman took the Tylenol from a bottle that, who knows when that was bought. Right. She went into the, she was at work. She went into the back. No, Mary Kellerman was the Oh, okay. Mary uh, Kellerman girl. was the little girl. She was the first victim. Yeah. We don't know when that was bought. Yeah. But the one that had the headache at work, I mean, yes, yeah. and that was in the back of work, so we don't yeah. know when that was bought. Exactly, that was the one Mary, aka Lynn. No, that was that Lynn? was Lynn Reimer. Lynn Reimer. Oh, she's the one who ha- who allegedly got it at the hospital. There's yeah. way too many Marys. Okay, did you notice that there's? I didn't notice actually. Oh my gosh, no, yeah, there's Mary. What was the the last name of the first one? The little girl was Mary Kellerman. Okay, so there's Mary Kellerman. There's Mary McFarland. Oh, yeah. And then I guess Lynn's actual first yeah, name was Mary. Yeah, her, her name was Mary. That's weird that I didn't notice that. Yeah, how did you not notice that? It was I like don't one of the know. very first things I noticed that was... I don't know. Odd. It was like, oh my gosh, so many Marys. But then again, it was a very common name. Yeah. Back in that time. Back when our grandparents were fucking. Yeah, yeah. or our parents. I was already born. Oh, I guess Clearly that's... my parents fucked. Yeah, but you weren't 12. No, I wasn't 12. But yeah, I guess you're not. You're right. But not there were a lot of people. But I mean, the older ones were married too. Yeah. The ones in their yeah. 30s. So the, there's a lot of people that were our age in 1982 that were named Mary. And two Teresas. Right? That's pretty the weird Janice too. The Janice brothers each had a wife named Teresa. That's... Mary and Teresa. But common names. It's like, it's like for our generation, like somebody being named like Emily or Lindsay. Like... How many people do you know with those names? How many women do you know with those names? It could easily take a cluster of people and they could, like, three of them could be named fucking Lindsay easily. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. I know some Lindsays. Yeah. My sister is a Lindsay. Yeah. I'm just saying, though, that... Yeah, you're right. I mean, they are common names and this is a a fairly dense area, so... Right, do? right. I'm just saying it's just it's just odd. The, the timeline there it was, like, people that just bought it immediately take it and then... How many people just kind of buy Tylenol just like have on hand? I only ever buy it when I need it. Exactly. And I never buy Tylenol anyway. Exactly. But you buy it when you I need it, it and then you and then have, have it for it. the next time until you're out. Exactly. And then the next time you need it again is when you buy it. So but that's luck what of the makes draw, me feel like it wasn't on the shelves for very long. Maybe, but luck of the draw. Again, you take it home, you toss it in your grocery bag, you toss it in your backpack, whatever. The pills get all jostled around and so first time you're good second time you're good third time i mean it's like russian roulette right it had to have been where they place it on top because you got the cotton you pull out the cotton how do you do it you turn it upside down first one up there that frees itself drops in 
and you're poisoning like three to 13 tablets or two to 13 tablets. So, I mean, what are you doing? Are you just taking like a 20 tablet? Are you going to take like one whole jar? Are you going to dump the entire thing out and then get like the last one that came from the very bottom? No, you're just going to dump the first two that come out. First, first bunch that comes out, poison them and toss them back in. Maybe, maybe you were buying a, yeah, a well, number of bottles. Yeah, well, whoever poisoned them, yeah, they put them on top because that's what you do when you take them is you take it and you put out, right. shake it out in your hand. The first two that come out, you pop in your mouth and you swallow. Is that how you take a pill? That is how you take a pill. You can quote me on that. I'm just saying that I think they weren't on the shelves for very long because most of the time when you buy Tylenol, you take it immediately because you need it. So I don't think that people had it in their there were just tons of people that randomly had poisoned Tylenol in their possession for a long period of time and just got lucky I think they they were out there pretty recently they get picked up there in the front of the store you know section of Tylenol right, you know, they right. grab it immediately take it drop dead now that could well be the case I mean we know that three, I don't think we, they were some of the people either bought it. in the store shelves for months or in people's homes for months I think this was all stuff that was recently bought and immediately ingested it's possible I mean I don't know how how these how much business these stores were doing in, in pills so I don't know if maybe it was if it did happen at the distribution center then perhaps the boxes just didn't yeah go it would have been like oh right hey away. it's like monday I mean, shipment and doesn't quite go out onto the shelves until thursday or whatever i mean i right. don't know and then I don't know. all these people pick it up in random places on thursday and take it because you know fuck they have a fucking headache and again there's no way of knowing because they tested almost fucking nothing right i mean i understand there's a lot but you think you would have at least tested the ones in the chicago area more thoroughly just a little bit so Back to 1986. The FBI scientists had inspected the two tainted bottles of Tylenol. They're using a microscope, and they said to a reasonable degree of certainty that the seals had not been tampered with after they left the factory. So this, they were intact. The seals that they now put on all the stuff. Because In 19, of, yeah, by yeah, 1986. Yeah. Because of 1982. Regardless of the fact that the evidence points to, t to the tampering occurring in the factory, no one changed the theory that the tampering happened after delivery to the retail location. So again, in 1986, they're not really even looking into the distribution center angle. They're always looking for a local person doing this. Because from what they say, it both times it's impossible for it to have happened or just impossible that second time. They barely really looked into it. Yeah. Yeah, they just barely looked into it. So, Or maybe they did look into it and they just barely reported on it. Johnson & Johnson and the FDA both made public statements that the tampering occurred outside the manufacturing process. And even the FBI, whose own scientists discovered evidence to the contrary, would neither confirm nor deny Fergari's statement. Hmm. They're just like, yeah, I'm not going to put that out there. I'm not going to contradict this person. Like, I'm, I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to piss people off. So then the FBI used an undisclosed, super high-tech way of inspecting the bottles and found that the first inspection had been wrong. The bottles had been tampered with after they left the manufacturer. Now, all of this new information was made public at a press conference on February 26th, where the chief of public affairs for the FBI, Milt Ollerich, didn't give any proof and was backed up by unnamed authorities who confirmed the story. So basically, he calls a press conference and says, this is how it happened. I am not giving you any proof, and my sources are 
unnamed sources. I shall lift this rug and we'll just go ahead and... Mm-hmm. Okay. And part of me will I just pat that down right where it was before. Now, and I don't want to hear anything more about it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Goodbye. Yep. And just previous to this, Vergari had inspected the manufacturing plant. And he didn't find anything that convinced him that that was not the scene of the crime. Except for maybe a giant pile of money hidden in a corner somewhere? Well, after the press conference, he was no longer allowed to investigate because the plant had been ruled out by the FBI. So they didn't have to let him in anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. interesting. It's interesting how they sort of let someone who could be the guilty party kind of conduct some of the investigation. Oh, no, well, we'll go ahead and test those. It's cool. Right. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I mean, there's no way it could have been us. It's interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like uh, that's just the kind of thing that maybe, like, outside contractors should be brought in on. I'm just saying. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like every other criminal investigation, you don't let the person that you that is the suspect also investigate the crime it's like that's what they call a conflict of interest somebody's doing like tax fraud and it's like oh hey could your company run some numbers on itself right and let us know whether you're guilty or not like just go ahead and audit yourself and let us know yeah get back to us with the results we trust you slugger (laughs) like that seems like so not how that should be happening we have the 1986 ones in washington 1986 New York. 1986 New York. 1982 Chicago. 1982 Chicago. 1982 Sheridan. 19, 1982 Sheridan. That was that was a surprise one. I didn't know about that one. Shout out to Sheridan. We also have a 1993 in Washington. Did you know about this one? I didn't. A former insurance salesman gets sentenced to life without parole for the deaths of two people and his attempt at poisoning his wife. He puts cyanide capsules in a total of six Sudafed packages. Joseph Melling was trying to kill his wife to get their $700,000 life insurance policy. Shocker. I didn't bother changing it to nowadays money because it was 1993, so it's not much more. She survived. Kathleen Deneker of Tacoma, Washington, and Stan McWhorter of Lacey were not so lucky. Burroughs Welcome Company, the manufacturer, recalled the Sudafed nationwide. Uh, The two cyanide-laced packages were found in homes, and one more was found in a store unsold. Jesus. Now, not only did they make it so it was hard for you to open up things to eat, but they also almost ruined Halloween. Right. I heard about this. This is pretty crazy. This is actually kind of terrifying. This. So this is about the, like, the needles in the candy corn, right? The same year as the Tylenol murders, the FDA reported that 270 suspected product tampering incidents ended up in 36 being true. In Long Island, New York, two women found straight pins in candy corn and Baby Ruth candy bars. In Norwalk, Connecticut, a straight pin was found in a Kit Kat bar. In Pensacola, Florida, a sewing needle was found in a candy bar. They didn't name it. Three children in Chicago got sick after eating Kit Kats. They didn't say how many, so... Right. A 14-year-old boy drank chocolate milk from a carton that ended up containing traces of sodium hydroxide. That's fucking lie. Mm. Like, that's not good for you. No, that's corrosive, for sure. Yes. 
a cop... You melt bodies with lye. You do. You don't drink lye. Mm -mm. A cop in Juneau Beach, Florida, Harry Browning, drank some Tropicana orange juice and within seconds was vomiting. Hmm. It's Maybe suspected it was just bad orange juice, though. They I mean. thought it was injected with insecticide. Interesting. In the D Detroit area, two razor blades and a nail were found in a package of Ballpark Franks. Jesus Christ. And now this is information from a 1982 magazine article. People just, like, went with a whole, let's just fuck with shit. Pretty much. That people eat and take. They say this is the first... Anything that goes in the mouth, I guess, is fair game. This is called the first American... Domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Act, yeah. The people that they looked into as suspects just aren't good suspects. They don't look good. They're not... They didn't do I don't it. like a single one. Not even one of them. Not even a little bit. It's amazing. What do you think? What's your thought on this i mean do you think johnson and johnson like covered it up and it's a distribution thing or it's real hard to say i kind of lean towards a distribution center but it could have just as you could just walk into this store you didn't even need to take you could have bought one bottle of, of pills taken it home made one bottle full of cyanide pills and just dumped a few in your hand and gone into a store popped the top put them in without even having to buy the bottles Right. You Although just had it would have, have made more sense to buy the bottles in my line of thinking. Yes, but never you didn't need to. All you have to do you is walk to, down the yeah. aisle, pop the top, pull out the, the cotton, throw some in there, close it, shut it up, bam. Like I said, What's, I mean, the I closed mean, circuit camera, grainy, probably only at the entrance. It's not following you, oh, like your all your movements. They weren't and, in the aisles. Mm -mm. They yeah. had they had video of Paula purchasing her, her Tylenol, and it saw her at the register. And at the door. It mm -hmm. didn't show her. Right. None of the aisles. I yeah, mean, it doesn't show her walking up and down, taking it, whatever. And so you couldn't yeah. see down the aisles. You couldn't see if someone was placing the anything on the aisles. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, depending upon how long they were there, maybe they had already uh, taped over the tapes. Yeah. It's it's craziness. What do you think? Do you think, I mean, it sounds think... like you think it's uh, an individual. I would lean towards that. Not that I don't think Johnson & Johnson is... Uh, capable you know is not capable of covering something up especially if it's going to cost them even more than what this has already cost them i mean corporate greed and all not a fan yeah but i also feel that it could easily be somebody was targeted and then because all the all the subsequent ones what they're trying to make look like the tylenol murders they're trying to make look like the tylenol murders because nobody actually got caught is the thing. Right, right. Because, but in every single circumstance, they are copycatting this and poisoning other people to offset scrutiny upon themselves and their chosen victim. So let me ask you this. So maybe this person was just really good at what they did and they did enough offsetting that they never figured out who the actual intended victim was. So who do you think the victim would have been in this, in this scenario? I think it was the lady who had the baby. You think, you think she was the... Intended victim? If she's not the one that you can't account for the Tylenol, and it's kind of mysterious as to where the Tylenol came from and who gave it to her, the fact that it might have come from the hospital is also an interesting aspect. You know, maybe poisoning it... tends to be a woman thing. One of the copycat poisoners was a woman. Yeah. Women poison people 
close to them just kind of like as a preferred method of murder all the time because that's just like if I was gonna poison you I would totally fucking I mean if I was gonna kill you I would totally fucking poison you that's why I always make my drinks my own drinks <laughs> that's right I never noticed that you don't I make your drinks near too. your fucking drinks made that wine made that tea <laughs> say I was going to murder my imaginary boyfriend it would be poison time it would be poison time because you know then you can care for them while you slowly kill them. Depending upon, right, it depends. That's kind of like a sick maternal, like, twist of your maternal kind instinct, Kind of like misery? I think. Yes. Like, I love you, but I'm going to kill you, but slowly, but I want to take care of you while I'm killing you and watch. So then why use 100 to 1,000 the amount, times the amount of cyanide? Maybe they just didn't, didn't want to care for just like, doing. Fuck it. Also, though, so I'm talking... In that scenario where you slow, that's when you slowly do it to a loved one over time. Right, right. Like, you're not usually using cyanide, for one, because that kills people too quickly. Yes, it certainly does. This is These are the type that use, like, arsenic, like, or arsenic and antifreeze. Antifreeze has a nice flavor. Mm-hmm. Good on muffins. And it, you know, if you're not specifically looking for it, you're going to be like, oh, this guy had diabetes. Look at all this fucking sugar in his blood. Anyways... So it's kind of like a woman thing poisoning. Also, mass murder by women. When you throw in the mass murder aspect of it, nurses have come up quite a bit, actually. Hmm. There is a lot of cases of, like, serial killer nurses where they, like, poison their patients. Well, I'll be damned. Yeah, there's been more than one. There's been several. And I'm not trying to diss nurses because nurses are some of the fucking best people on this earth they have a hard fucking job they have a hard fucking job and they do great fucking jobs but i'm just saying that there has been more than one so they do a good nurse job. out there that has and so if their job is serial killer patients. if their job is serial killer then they are going to do a good job at that too right they're just capable at whatever they put their mind to and maybe they are the ones that had access to the hospital possibly Tylenol sent it home with her and then also decided to just do it in other places as well Possibly. To kind of offset, maybe. I mean, it would be strange if she took Tylenol that was just from that hospital and she's the only person that died. It would be. And that would be very suspicious. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of my theory, is that... That they were killing Mrs. Reimer and they just killed everybody. They just spread it out to knock a few people other... Uh, to knock other people off and... Didn't really care who, so they they wouldn't get in, uh, investigated. Right. It could have been. That's just as likely as anything else. Mm-hmm. Because we have... I mean, there's the, the other police. family. That first family doesn't say where they got their Tylenol either. Kellermans, right. The Kellermans. It could have been them. I mean, the it could just be coincidence, and maybe people are just not remembering facts correctly and all the craziness of just having had a baby... Taking Tylenol, the the woman takes Tylenol, fucking drops dead. You got a week old baby. It's like four kids. And also, it's it, maybe 30... there was like some confusion over where the Tylenol actually came from. And it's it's thirty six years later. Mm-hmm. So, or well, I guess at the so, time that she was interviewed was two thousand nine or something. But still, it I was say it's a her just because time. she's kind of the anomaly. But there's still it still could have been any one of them. It could, yeah. It was, it's especially one of the ones that didn't buy it and immediately take it, right? Which would be the Kellermans and Lynn Reiner. Those are the two that I feel like don't immediately say, 
where they were purchased and people didn't like purchase it and immediately take it right as right. far as what's been reported which is why i would love to see some of that case evidence and oh yeah unfortunately there's not much we can see right but that that would be my theory on the the Tylenol murder that I think possibly one person was targeted and a lot of people just died in the offset process. I don't think it was a targeted one, and I'm really about fifty fifty with distribution center and. Do you think it was like it was a disgruntled like employee that wanted to hurt Johnson be. and Johnson specifically? It could be. It's just it's really hard to say. Either somebody who got off on killing a lot of people or it's somebody who wanted to hurt that company. If you're or going. both. True. Or both. Well, do you have anything else? I think that's about it. That's about it for me, too. Thank you very much for listening. And you take care now. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, this is Sean Riley, director of the feature film Fighting Bill and host of Second Act's podcast an interview show that checks in on the second acts and the lives of the most memorable entertainers and public figures you may have forgotten. Listen as the most unique collection of guests in podcasting share a behind-the-scenes look at their past. If you didn't get this right, they were going to pack your bags and out. But that morning I got up, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I fell through my shower door. A lot of the drafts Mm. of Attic I wrote uh, taking crystal math or lsd and find out what happened after the limelight faded on some of your favorite movies music and tv shows i left the scene and uh, raised the son and they kicked me out the edible bus stop studio is a landscape architecture and design consultancy i became obsessed with argentina and i decided to move there I went through a long phase of bad health. Uh, I have a medical condition called ankylosing spondylitis. If Oh, I've been studying music just for something to do, and I'm singing a little bit, you know. Find us on your favorite Apple or Android podcast device and on Facebook on the first of every month. As Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, there are no second acts in American lives, but there are on Second Acts Podcast. Yellow rain. Yellow rain. Yellow rain, uh, yellow rain. Do you enjoy the Stranger Than podcast? Please let us know. Rate and comment on iTunes. Check out and like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stranger than podcast. Our Twitter at underscore stranger than or drop us an email, stranger than podcast at gmail.com. That's stranger than podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Also, feel free to email us any strange, mysterious, or misunderstood stories or topic suggestions that you'd like to share or hear about.